Don't believe the hype. Read the type. This is Type Beast. Take a look. It's in a book. It's Type Beast, baby. So, bro, did you get more homework? What do you mean homework? What are you talking about? Well, the last time somebody else, somebody requested you reading a book. Oh, yeah, I yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, which one was that? The, uh, um, uh, the last Type Beast episode. I know uh, Jamar Tisby. Yeah. yeah that, so, for the listener, was this a homework assignment? Yes, it was given to me by Tanisha Williams, who's a longtime listener. First time caller. First time caller, long time <laughs> listener, uh, Tanisha Williams. And so she, so she, uh, I saw her personally and she asked me to do this book. And shout out to her wonderful, handsome husband, Brad Williams. What up, Brad? <laughs> yeah. Handsome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no. He's a good looking dude, man. Yo, yo, Tanisha, you got yourself a catch, man. Hold him tight. <laughs> <laughs> no no they're good people they're wonderful people man me and brad always have really good conversations after he listens to the show so and i can't forget to give a big major shout out to the little homie theo what up baby yeah so okay yeah so nice. the book she requested was gay girl good god by jackie hill perry and so the book is the, the the tagline is the story of who I was and who God has always been. Now uh, I will preface my remarks with uh, anybody who knows me knows uh, I hate poetry. Okay. And Jackie Hill is a poet, and I hate poetry. Uh, and I know "hate's" a strong word, and that's why I'm using it. Uh. But uh, she's a rapper as well. But um, yeah, I, I love her 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 rapping. Um, but again, the the book is written in a way that reflects her poetry game and her rap game. So so the the book is very lyrical. So I don't know, Joel. Have Have you ever been to a, a poetry slam? Um, actually, I think the only one I, I, I probably wasn't at it, but I was at it was, uh, when, back when we went to, um, Legacy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Back in our, in our Legacy days. Yeah. So, okay. So way um, back. So if you, if you hear something deep, I'm going to need you to snap your fingers. Uh Oh, all right. So I'm going to need you, I'm gonna need you to snap your fingers with us. Um, when we hear uh, Jackie say something deep because, you know, she just has a way of just saying things that made me just kind of be like, oh, whoa. Uh, yeah, it just made you just take a step back and reread that sentence. Kind of like back in the 90s when you would re rewind, rewind a cassette when you heard of something lyrical. So um, I, I was very impressed with that and the book was definitely engaging. If I can summarize the book for the listener... I would say that it is, and no, no hype because this isn't hype beast. This is tight beast, right? So we're not about hype over here. But I, I would definitely say that the book is powerful. Okay. The yeah, book is I, powerful. I, uh, I uh, being a man of less time on my hands with with you know two young kids, um, I resorted to my trusty podcasting option. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, 
and I'll put it in the show notes page because I thought it was pretty good. But uh, so on September 13th, 2018, just after the book came out, Jackie Hill Perry was on Wado Radio. DJ Wado, uh, shout to DJ Wado. Yeah, shout out to and, and our boy Anthony for his who used to work former for work on the yeah. show. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, I thought that's a really good podcast for for the listener. If you want, you know, words straight out of her mouth, you can. I think a lot of what Darnell is going to say and and my my points as well, obviously, are going to resonate with the things she says uh, from her from her book and from her story. Um, so. Yeah, as I said, I'll put that in the show notes page for the listener to to reference. I'm also going to put in uh, Tim Challey's review of the book because uh, we we like a lot of what Tim Challey's does. So I thought it's another option for the listener just to be able to to take it in. Okay, and so the the structure, the direction we'll be going in in regards to reviewing the book is we're going to look at why are people gay. Point two, men are the problem. Point B, stop being gay. And then point four, uh, same-sex attracted Christians. And uh, just for for the listener, some of those titles, I'm assuming, are a little bit deeper than, you know, those are tantalizing topics Uh, just to to get the listener in, in interesting well, well well those are more so those those are more so my takeaways so they're not okay they're not reflecting of the table of contents of the book so the way how the book is structured mm-hmm. it's structured in three parts so the first part is who i was and then the second part part two is who i became and then part three is same-sex attraction and dot 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 dot, dot. and and what i found interesting just looking at the table of contents for the first two parts of the book, it's all kind of years um, as the, the chapter kind of titles, if you want to call it that. So chapter one, 2006. Um, chapter two, 6,000 BC to AD 1995 um, and so on. Um, there's some re- repetition there, but I just found when I'm seeing that, I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, would you and, and from listening to the podcast with with Radio, uh, DJ Wado, um or on Wado Radio, um, it sounds like a lot of part one and part two is is very much stories. To make her point, yeah, is that a fair? Yeah, bio- biographical, uh, and yeah. her just walking through her life, which is which was um, which was really good, man. It was um, so really good. Just to, on that point, is part three still autobiographical? No, no, it's it's okay. it's um, it's basically her giving instructions on how to how Christians can better help those um, struggling with same-sex attraction like real practical information on how to engage with people who have that and even if you have it yourself so she's talking to people to uh, to people that are, are struggling with it so it, it, it's really practical and honestly like even for me and I'm a on any you know I'm a stickler for proper exegesis of scripture proper biblical theology sound doctrine i'm like i don't there's a lot i fool around a lot what does that mean huh (laughs) taking out of context that could be very bad for you yeah no no i no (laughs) you you know what i mean i like i i fool around a lot but when it comes to doctrine and theology i'm i'm you know i'm always just like yo man just just say what the text says don't say any more don't say any less to keep in a context 
mm-hmm. she does that, and she's she's just phenomenal. She's just her her exegesis, her theology, her insight, her exhortations are just oh man, I was just so impressed. On I was point. just like yeah 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 no 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 no. I was just like oh man, she's she's no joke. So yeah yeah. Without further ado, let's okay. let's just jump into it. Okay. So basically, uh, I think just for the listener who's super ignorant, mm-hmm. um, just based on your you know we're gonna get into your takeaways. The one thing to pr- to understand is part of the reason why she has authority to kind of speak in section three is is that is her story, right? So this is a, a girl who essentially um, was was gay. That's the based on the title, um, right? Gay girl, good God, meaning um, she lived a gay lifestyle. She and then is now married with I think two kids, two kids. or one kid. Yeah, two yeah, kids. even Autumn. Um, and so, or Eden to some and extent, Eve and Autumn. Eden, Eden and Autumn. Eden, Eden. Oh, okay. Um, and so, part three is kind of her speaking authoritatively from experience, but also scripture. Would you say that that's mm-hmm. a proper? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure for the listener, um, you know, contextualizing that this is a girl who's who's telling her story of, you know, what what's experienced from being same sex attracted, and and you know, living as the Bible calls us to live or God calls us to live. So without further ado, Darnell, okay. why are people gay? First things first, our papa freaks all the honeys, dummies, playboy bunnies, those wanting monies. Okay, so so Jackie Hill tells her story about her struggling with or, or being a lesbian at one point in time. And so she starts out and she talks about a point in her life as a child where she kind of felt the pull towards lesbianism as a child. And so that was just something she, she kind of kept to herself, but she was just saying like, you know, she's, she's, she started noticing certain things about herself um, as a child. And so she starts talking about her relationship with her father. Oh, okay. Actually, no, actually, no, before that. Um, so she lays the groundwork for the book with, with starting in Genesis, right. In regards to the fall of man. So that's where you get the whole 6,000 BC to, A.D. 1995. And so I'm going to read to you some of her. uh, I'm going to read to you some passages from from that section about what happened in Genesis. So on page 14, she says, Not being one for small talk, he, the serpent, went straight to questioning her, Eve, about something God told her husband a little after he made him. And I thought that was a good insight into um, the created order and how God spoke to Adam first and gave him instruction to pass on to Eve. And then she goes on to say this, and I thought thought this was well said. And she says, I imagine the tree looked different then. The fruit hung beneath their own branch, loose enough for the wind to move through each one. She noticed them and thought of her next meal, how they'd taste good on her plate. 
even if it meant she might not live to see the next chew. One blink later, her eyes saw how gorgeous the tree was, how it looked like God. Only better, she thought. She remembered what the serpent had said about God and how the tree would make her like him. She figured fruit and not faith, sin and not obedience, would give her the wisdom she needed to be more perfect than she already was. I was doing it, but you can't hear it. There we go. I hope that came through properly. More perfect than she already was. And isn't that something for us to contemplate that, you know, God has made us, you know, uh, the way he, he well, it, it's, just, it's just great insight to see, you know, how we mistake or we, misunder, we misunderstand um our position before God. When sin entered in, and this was how she summarized the whole fall in sin, and she says this, Sin, when in the body, cannot stay put. It's not a guest that stays in one room, making sure not to disturb the others. It is a tenant that lives in everything and goes everywhere. It can bleed into every part choking out anything holy. The glass shattered and broke when it moved in. Adam and Eve, God's first image bearers, made to love and reflect God in creation, had now become the world's first sinners. And so that was big because it answers the, the, fir the first question is, why are people gay? Right? Yeah. And so looking at it from the fall and when I mean fall, I mean sin entering the creation. We really have to reflect on why, why are things not perfect? Yeah, yeah. Why are things the way they are? Now, of course, for those people who don't adhere to a, a biblical worldview, the question they have to answer is, you know why are why are we the way we are you know why why are why are we so messed up as people and like you know I, the bible has the best answer i i don't think i don't think a secular worldview can answer why we're so messed up like it it can it can like take little parts here and there and address little parts here and there but not even holistically it's just yeah, like within within a particular context and a particular scenario, you could start to unravel, you know, the the per, a person's lives to kind of say, okay, that's why they acted the way they did, even though those actions are deemed evil. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like, in in a sense, uh, but when you scale it up to a humanity level, nobody really has an explanation. Yeah, yeah. Well, the, or the ex explanation is not. It's not comprehensive it's, it enough. You wanting. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's definitely not comprehensive enough. So, like, so again, why are people gay? Now, I would just flat out answer that in that uh, one, some people struggle with with a same sex attraction, and they're born with that because of a fallen nature. Same way, some people are born pathological liars, or some people are 
born, as we say, just bad breed, just a bad breed of people. Well, and I mean, argue, you know, you could say in the same way that some people are athletically gifted and some aren't. Mm-hmm. Right. But like, it, it's just the nature of humanity and our broken, like there, there is diversity, there is freedom to, to, to choose in a sense, like you can act or choose not to act based on your inclination, your proclivities, your, you know, it's like as a married man, any proclivity i have to defile that covenant i have to choose not to follow and and you know i i think i just want to be clear for the listener um by no means am i trying to 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 necessarily box the the same-sex attraction and, and me being married in the same place what i'm trying to compare is the fact that i always have a choice at the end of the day everything you do is still a choice um you know, whether you are same-sex attracted or not, you still have a choice to make. Yeah, but then it comes into the question of the depravity of how it in, it basically, or sin, uh, basically takes over and you're no longer free to make the right decisions. Where you're in bondage, your will is in bondage mm-hmm. to sin. So like I was saying before, you know, the way I would answer why people gay is, one, some people have inclinations to want to do that and then there are those who you know what are just freaky so there are people who so are, are you kind of are you trying to go down the like nature versus nurture no concept? i'm just talking about being a freak no i know yeah, yeah i just mean like is that to some i, I mean to, to your point like some people are just freaky yeah right like you know you think of like let's let's get away from same-sex attracted and you can use the example of like people that are swingers people that are polyamorous people that are like people that like sucking toes like i don't know how that works (laughs) yeah right like some people are just freaky right and to like you know some people might say some of those freaky things sexually are immoral and some aren't like you know i think for the most part everyone would agree sexual proclivity towards animals is immoral yeah 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 no but <laughs> right? but I, I the reason why i bring that up is because like i think you know you know being gay is cool now so you have some people who are really gay and then you have some people who are pretending to be gay to be cool right so uh, i think it's important especially for parents because you know some parents you know their kids are gay and they're not christians and they know that they don't agree with the lifestyle, but the culture tells them, well, no, it's just fine. You're like, not allowed like, to disagree. Yeah, or, or or this this is what normal is. Like they like for unbelievers, they don't really have a ground to stand on to disagree with uh the, with, with 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 these actions. Now, you know, for the Christians we for Christians we have a worldview that that is comprehensive and in in regards to looking at the problem and also offering a solution. But yeah, so I say that in one aspect of why are people gay, but then I also wanted to look at the aspect of how she addressed the fall in the garden. And I think that the first three chapters of Genesis is essential to having a coherent biblical worldview and also a logical mm-hmm. worldview. So, for example, especially like for us living in Canada and, you know, we're the home of you know, legalizing gay marriage. Uh, we have gay pride parade. Like this is just something that's, you know, part of our culture. And as Christians, we should have an apologetic in how to, or 
sorry, apologetic meaning a defense and learning how to engage with that. Because you know, we the real the reality is that we might have some friends and family that um, are living the homosexual lifestyle, and we love them, and they're still close to us. And we have friends and people we work with, and we love them, and and we're good friends with them, and we want to be able to have deeper conversations about uh, the these um, their lifestyle and so forth. So I'm I gonna, think I think. I want I want to step back on that for a second because you said, you know, we love them or or and and I think there's a bigger issue like to some extent that the reason I say it's a bigger issue is that historically we haven't always loved them <laughs> as the church. Um there to you know there's been an outsider's sort of like and I would say that the church had this t- with regards to sexual sin in general that there's you know two classes of sins. Um, and, and so to some extent, I think historically we've failed to love our neighbor, to love our neighbor that has sinned in a particular manner. Um, and, and for, I would say to challenge the listeners, you know, is there a a particular sin that you see in your non-Christian friends that for some, that, you know, maybe it's not sexuality, maybe it's something else where you, um, hold them to, you know, in, in a higher disregard because of a particular sin. Um, you know, maybe it's swearing, right? Uh, or, or speaking in a manner that you find degrading. Um, does that cause you to, you know, hate your neighbor as opposed to love your neighbor? Um, so I don't know. I just thought it was, you know, something that uh, I think we, as a society, um, we, I think, especially the secular world, there's a failure to love those who you are morally in op- like in conflict with, right? Like if you have conflicting moral views, um, as a Christian, to some extent, we recognize the call to love our neighbor, right? We're the Jew and the Gentile to live peacefully to some extent. Um, but for the culture, that's becoming increasingly difficult because they hate us for our views. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... Sorry, I know sidebar, but I just when you said the word love, I just thought uh, I mm-hmm. wanted to jump in. So, okay, so so there's three aspects that I, I just want to quickly address as an apologetic to respond to uh, the rhetoric that we hear in regards to um, the homosexual lifestyle, and I'm looking at the first three chapters of Genesis. So the three things that I want you to take note of is that uh, marriage. Um, and especially looking at, at the the um, gay marriage thing. Now, marriage, the point of marriage is not love. But I'm pumped. Marriage is about procreation. And we see that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 to 28. Right? So in chapter 1, 27 to 28. Pages turning, boys and girls. You know he's bringing out the he's big exegeting books. repeat, baby. Right. So it says here, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. That means make kids. Um, Two men can't make kids. Two women can't make kids. You need a man and a woman to make kids. That's the whole point of marriage, not love as opposed to the argument being that the whole purpose is that they should be free to love. Yes, you're free to love whoever you want, 
but marriage the point of marriage is for making children okay next point and and i would say not just making children um but providing a the the environment you're providing for the development of children right okay and now the next point is men and this being a man problem uh generally most problems that we have is a man problem so Again, the 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 um, common understanding of the fall of Adam and Eve was that it was Eve's fault. It was not Eve's fault. It was Adam's fault. So we see that man failed to be responsible, and we see that in Genesis chapter three, verse six. And this is something that Jackie Hill pointed out in, in her um, in her rendition of um, the Genesis account. And so Genesis three six says. Um, and it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. So the question is, where was Adam while she was being, while Eve was being um, while Eve was being tricked by the serpent. Well, Adam was there with her and Adam did not intervene in that conversation. Right? So he was just there mm -hmm. and so she mm. ate the fruit and Spectate. yeah, he was, he was just spectating. He was watching. He wasn't engaged in that conversation. Like, you know, so, you know, just come around, you know, like kind of like, you know, guys, you know, when you see someone talk, you see this guy talking to your girl and what do you do? You come up behind your girl and you put, you put your arm around her and be like, Hey, is everything good over here, babe? You good? Okay. You, you, you good homie? It, it, it was none of that. Adam was just kind of like looking over like, Oh, well, you know, I hope he doesn't say, steal my bay or something. I don't know. It, <laughs> it wasn't a good look on Adam's yeah. part, well, but and, him neglecting and, responsibility. And, it, and, you know, for for the, his responsibility was to, because the commandment around the, with regards to that tree was given to him, not to to Eve. Mm -hmm. right? Now, it yeah, was his calling or his responsibility. Yeah, I'm, to, I'm getting to, there to, to obey. But uh, yeah, sorry, steal your thunder. But okay, so in Genesis chapter three verse seven, uh, he is the one that activated sin and not Eve. Because if you look at verse seven, it says, "Then the eyes of both were opened." And they knew that they were naked. So Eve ate the fruit first, and their eyes weren't open till sin until Adam ate it. And we see the proof of that in verse seven. And that's another point that Jackie Hill points out. And that indicates the created order that man is the federal head of all human creation. And so when we see Adam eating the fruit, their eyes are open to sin. So he's the one to blame and not Eve. And now the next point, uh, Genesis 3, verse 12, you see Adam placing the blame when God says, okay, how'd you guys know you were naked? And he said, well, well it was the woman you gave me. So here again, we have him not taking responsibility for his actions, but him blaming women for his faults. Doesn't that sound familiar, ladies? Men not taking responsibility for their actions and blaming women for their problems? And then finally, the last point is uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. The result of that fall in sin entering creation is a cursed relationship between men and women. And we see that in verse 16 where it says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. 
and that desire isn't a good desire, but that you will be um, constantly bumping heads with your husband. So even when we look at our marriages and you guys, and when we become um, married, we see the friction between men and women. And that's why it's important to get biblical counseling as you guys come together, because you don't just have, you know, your, your, your backgrounds from your, you know, coming from a broken home working against you, but you also have sin working against your relationship in that way um, to, to split you guys apart. Now, and the last part. So yeah. I, I, before I just, uh, you know, the essentially that's referred to, you know, verse 16 is essentially referred to as the, the curse of, of woman. Um, and, and there's a curse of man that, that I'm assuming is that the follow. Yeah. To, to Adam, verse 17 to 19 which I'm assuming is where you're going next, right? No, 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 no. Okay. No, so, no, I know, I know. I just wanted to leave it. I just wanted to leave it at that. Um, okay. That that the, the the marriage that relationship aspect, and then my final point is uh, God provides a covering for man's shame in Genesis three, um, chapter three, verse twenty one. So when they were naked, God basically kills an animal and uses that as a covering for them to cover their shame, and that will lead us going forward um, into the book and so forth. Now the, okay, yeah. so I just wanted to to step back for a second. Uh, what translation did you read verse sixteen from? Just for uh, English Standard Version. Yeah, so you're, um, you know, the the verse. Um, I'm just. Was it your your desire shall be contrary to your husband? Oh, and is that what you have? What, what translation is that? I have that on as ESV on Bible Gateway. Oh, um, and the sorry footnote says or shall be toward. Um, it's an updated version, but anyways, the, the point I wanted to bring, um, I think there's a, you know, there's a couple ways to interpret or like, what is the original text, you know, that we're translating here. Um, but the, um, the, there's, there's an understanding that this is, you know, the desire to be for your husband is, is to some extent for his uh, interpreted as your desi- your desire will be to to have his role right that's uh, right right and so it's th- essentially there's a con- inherent conflict um in in from a you know a struggle with respect to um the the role of man the role of woman and and you know for for some of the listeners maybe there's a a different uh let's say view on egalitarianism complementarianism those kind of things um, but I think if you do a, str- you know, a deep, uh, exegesis or, or read some good commentaries that are trying to really exegete this text, um, it's pretty soundly understood that, you know, the curse of woman is that you're going to struggle with, uh, headship to some extent. Um, so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just thought, uh, it, you know, that's a good, I don't know. I, it's I like text like this that's meaty and and mm-hmm. you know has a lot to chew on. So yeah, it um, is. No, hey, meaty. for the listener, if you think I'm wrong, you got you know your commentary or whatnot that you think is in contradictory or challenges what I'm saying. Go ahead, send it to us. Yeah. Um, but anyways, Darnell, continue. On with the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're looking at men. Point two, men as the problem, and so Jackie starts talking about her relationship with men um and she had two experiences that kind of broke her so her her father not being there or him being there but not being there 
And then there was another situation where she was sexually abused. Oh, I forgot. We're going to give a lot of spoilers. So if you're planning to read the book, <laughs> it's too late. But <laughs> So you know, we're just going into your spoilers. So, you know, if, if you're planning to read the book, go read the book first and then come back. And if you're not, well, here you go. This is a freebie. So basically, um, she's um, she was sexually abused as a child. And so there was an interesting back and forth with her husband with her with her um with her father in that they had the same birthday um which was kind of cool but also like mm. uh he he was he was never there and there was this one conversation she had with him where he said that you know he has other kids but he would be like it wouldn't bother him not to see her or them ever again like it wouldn't bother him he loves her he said, I love you, but I wouldn't feel a way if I never saw you guys again. Hmm. And so she says this in the book, and she says, Who I was made more sense when I was with him. He was a different mirror. With him, I could see where I'd gotten things my mama didn't own. I enjoyed every minute with this inconsistent relative I called daddy until he started using words that I didn't believe belonged to him. Like I love you. That sentence was too big to fit in his mouth. That's heavy. Bruh. And then she goes on to say over time, I was convinced there can only be so many missed birthdays, missed first bike ride missed changes in height weight grade schools until the heart becomes comfortable with keeping the man whose blood helped to build it out you go girl so i mean you know what's crazy is like i mean we're talking about fatherlessness but you're also talking about broken homes mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm I'm looking at it on the other side of the spectrum going like realizing how blessed I am in that like my parents are still together and Jenna's parents are still together. Mm-hmm. You know, like the, the abnormality of that in today's world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's and and you know, I think this is where you know, what you talked about at the very beginning, right? What is the purpose of marriage? Make children. children. And, and you know, I would say... And it also provides the right context for sex. Yes. And, and I mean, we haven't gone down that road much, but, I mean, it's the, the, the safety... Uh, safety is not the right word I'm looking for. It's the commitment side of it. Um, if you, you know, in the sense of, from a... If you take out uh, things like abortion, um, the vulnerable nature sex and pregnancy creates for women. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's really why marriage essentially provides the proper context for sex. Mm-hmm. Um, because if you go back a couple hundred years where you got a woman pregnant, if you weren't going to provide for her, what life did you just 
condemn her to. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the inability to both provide for yourself and take care of something that cannot take care of themselves for many, many years. Something being the child. Um, so, yeah. Um, the Yeah, we started, we went down that road just from the point I was trying to make that culturally, you know, how willing, how much, uh, actually, I was about to say, you know, the cultural view of marriage, I think, is too selfish. And I know for me, um, having kids and being married is the thing that points out my selfishness the most. Or, in, in Christian speak, um, God is using my marriage and children to sanctify me the most with regards to my own pride and selfishness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um because it, you know the need, the the requirements to put other people's priorities above my own wants is is so fundamental in the in in the role as a father that i think taking marriage too lightly is what causes marriage to break down mm-hmm. so yeah, so that now she she closes out this chapter, and, and again, I'm, this is a section that I'm going to read to you because I can explain it, but she says it so much better than I can. And she says this, Between fatherlessness and sexual abuse, my entire frame of reference for people God made male was built on the experience of their doing. One man's absence taught me men were incapable of loving only in short, sporadic flashes of affection would they be able to do what they'd said they'd do. Made up of an inconsistent spine straightened out by everything else but their own flesh and blood. I refuse to believe men could stand for truth ever. The other man was not a real one at all. But while becoming a man, he decided to act out his urges on a child, a girl child whose first introduction to male affection wouldn't be her daddy's hug, but another male's lusts. The consequence being that a man's touch sounded like everything unsafe. Sexual abuse, for me, turned male intimacy into an undignified practice of the male ego to which I would only be a body to conquer and not a person to love. I didn't know it with the same amount of assurance, yet but all the while another man was loving me always. That other man being Jesus Christ, if y'all couldn't fill in the blanks. But yeah, um, that that was deep. And I thought that was... heavy. Yeah, yeah, no, it was well said. Like... I mean, I like for me, obviously, that's the first time I heard it. And there's just this like groaning in my spirit of like pain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like I take, you know, I think of my own, you know, proclivity as a man with regards to lust and with regards to, you know, guarding my heart, guarding my eyes. And like, 
and now take that like i'm looking at it with respect to like you know as a man you know you're intentional to i want to honor my wife and not objectify women but this is like another dimension of you know objectification if that makes sense and when i say another dimension i just mean like the perversion slash exploitation of vulnerability with the child side mm-hmm. and that's where i said like you know it's just because you know if the thing she's saying had she said it oh as a you know teenager with a, another teenager it, I, I would presume there's an aspect of it doesn't carry the same pain as it does when you're being exploited and you're lacking the father relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think for me, the takeaway, and that's why the second point is, you know, men are the problem. Again, like, all it took was her father to be responsible, right? And be there for her not even just be there for her but you know marry her mother be there for her all it took was for the that young man to not take advantage of her as a little girl and we see you know men constantly failing at being responsible and protecting women and 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 serving them and so now we have this broken relationship and this cycle of madness and again like the family is the foundation for uh society you know, we, 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 we come together as um, man and woman. We have children. We prepare children to go into the world to become functional citizens. But if you're missing one half of that person that's helping to raise the child, you know, we're going to have a, a culture that where people are, are leaving their homes broken and they're going into the culture broken and they're making more uh, broken people. So it's important for us, especially as men, to get back to this biblical ethic of uh, being responsible um Mm. um for our women and and for our sexuality and not sleeping all all over the place and taking care of our kids and yeah but i i just just thought i just thought that was um a really good insight and i really thought that helped contribute to put the nail in the coffin for jackie hill and her um becoming gay so yes 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 she talked about like an inclination inside but i really believe that you know um her her experience with men uh, definitely sealed the deal. Yeah. Well, and I think of the, the, have you heard the term like poisoning the well? Uh, no, it's more of, it's like a logical fallacy. It's the, but it's this idea of like, you're kind of, um, poisoning the well is kind of like, I, I were, you know, if I was to propose a question to you in such a way, that's like making it so that you obviously are going to hate one thing over the other. Right. So like, it's my point of here is like, you know, this, the way men treated her as a child poisoned the well for future men relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, I mean, it sounds like her story has, like many stories in this regard, have a combination of nature and nurture with regards to homosexuality, same-sex attraction, those kind of things. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay, so the the next section is called stop being gay do you need in the brackets do you need the gospel to stop being gay and so 
when she's converted to Christianity, uh, now she starts documenting her experience and wrestling with um, not being, not practicing the homosexual lifestyle. And so she ends up living with a woman named Santoria. So the church she get she basically moves in with Santoria to be discipled by her. And so she talks to Santoria about like her, her um, lustful desires and, and Santoria's helping her through that. And Santoria says to her, and I quote, you fight lust with the gospel, Jackie. And then Jackie says the gospel, how? I said unsure whether her advice had any practicality to it. I was hoping she'd provide me with a special sin-rebuking prayer, not a petition to just remember the gospel. And then Santorio says, When Jesus died and rose, he gave you power to defeat sin, literally. Like you don't have to give in. Every single time you are tempted to sin, just remember the reality that Jesus defeated it already. You're not a slave. You are free. You just have to believe that and walk in it. And then she says, um, Yes, Jackie, the gospel didn't just save you. It also keeps you. And then, you know, Jackie Hill does an excellent job going through, uh, like, what the gospel is and the power of it and that was that was definitely rocking me um because she was just really giving really awesome insights into it so she says she quotes from jeff vanderstelt and he says the gospel doesn't just bring about forgiveness of sins and save us from hell the gospel of jesus christ empowers us to live a whole new life today by the same spirit who raised jesus from the dead how is it then that I would think that God would provide another way for me to walk freely that did not find its pulse in his gospel? And so it, it kind this whole section made me ask the question, like, yo, do we like, yo, is, is the gospel the, the only answer? Now she concludes with this part and she says, the gospel of God saved my life. And others, he'd done the same. And in doing so, my life, when around theirs, could look more like his. Who was I to think I could look like the triune God by trying to live alone? And she was talking about um, the sanctifying work of living in community with people. And I love how she just said, mm -hmm. yeah, um, like, who was I to think I could look like the triune God by trying to live alone? You know, the triune God is communal, you know, mm -hmm. kind of like Timothy Brindle said it best. He's like, true indeed, there's nothing that you would need as a triune loving community. And so it was one of those aspects where I said, okay, well, for the parent who is not a Christian, for people who aren't Christians, and, and you know, and there are some people who aren't Christians who don't agree with the homosexual lifestyle, like or, or, or there are people who have. Would be, sorry, would hold be on. Critical of it. Yeah, no, no, not just that, but, but there are people who are 
struggling with homosexual inclinations and their conscience, because God says, you know, you know, we all have conscience and we suppress it, but with their conscience, they're saying, well, you know what? I have desires to be with the same sex, but I don't want to. Like there are, there, there is that category of people who don't want to. Well, for those people who don't want to, and this is, you know, unbelievers, they don't have a choice because the culture says, no, you just accept, you just accept it and go along with it. And, yeah, I was and, and say, at the, the culture, same time, and, and the culture and, and, and kind and of that, tells them no, and that's I was gonna, not appropriate response. Yeah. And I, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and what I'm saying is that, 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 that can sear the conscience where, where the person is just locked in where they're like, okay, well, if the homosexual lifestyle is considered to be normal, and again, I'm speaking from an unbeliever perspective. If the, if the homosexual lifestyle is considered to be normal, then to be unhomosexual or to be heterosexual would to be would be abnormal, abnormal. To go from being gay to not gay would be abnormal. It meaning meaning it's impossible. That's not a thing. But this is why I love Jackie Hill's book and why I think Jackie Hill is making so much waves in the culture is because that is a narrative that is that is rare where people think, wait a minute. I'm, I'm sure there's even Christians. I'm sure there's Christians who are, who are looking at Jackie Hill and hearing this or hearing about her for the first time and saying like, what? That's impossible. God saves people from all kinds of stuff, but not that. Like you don't hear about people um, coming out of that lifestyle um, and changing it up. You know what I mean? Like coming out of lifestyle and saying, okay, look, I'm not, I'm not going to um, give in to these urges because yeah, like my conscience is telling me, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I, I believe that it is wrong. So what was really, what you're kind of reminding me of uh, when, when I was listening to the podcast, um, Jackie Hill was talking about, um, she got protested at Harvard University because she was speaking on sexuality. And and to some extent, she was speaking ab- not so much specifically on homosexuality or gay lifestyle, but just on, on really the over-sexuality of our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and because and she said, like, you know, the people who came and heard her talk, like, it was really good. Um, it was a really good you know, sort of engagement, um, even with people that say that would disagree with her. Um, and so I, I thought it was, a, a, you know, just to add to your, to what you're saying that there's also just sexuality in general, right? Like the culture is, is essentially like overtly pro this kind of like promotion of being, I don't want to say sexually deviant, but but to some extent, that's kind of how I'm I'm perceiving it. Um, it's just this like overt pro- like sexuality and everything. Like you know, you just look at movies and you look at you know mainstream, just what we consider acceptable with regards to sexuality on TV. And I'm not even talking like with respect to like the types of sexual relationships, but just you know, the way that we show affection even has become overly sexualized within movies. And, you know, even when you look at like, let's say a movie that's got a, a PG rating, they're just kind of lead or on PG is probably not the right reference. But the idea I'm trying to get at is 
TV, you know, movie ratings that are or show ratings that are, you know, not having sexuality in them. There's still so much kind of reference and, you know, innuendo as to, you know, sex is sex is a normal part of culture. Um, Je- I was talking with Jenna about it and she's like, you know, TV shows make it like, you know, kids are having so much sex as as teenagers. And to some extent, that might be true some of the time. Um, but there's an aspect of like promoting it as normal and proper and acceptable. Um, and, and so, you know, she, as much as, you know, you're pointing out that she's kind of coming out of that lifestyle and um, being critical towards it or, or kind of demonstrating like, you know, that you don't have, you, you know, you still have a choice to make. Or um, she's also breaking some of the societal expectations with regards to sexuality. Oh yeah, in general, for sure. Right, um, and and that's what I'm, you know, I'm appreciating when she is speaking. She's because of the lifestyle she she lived. Um, she just has so much insight into how she felt unfulfilled and broken, and the freedom and and you know the life that she's living now and how that's um a you know rewarding if you want to call it that um and and being a mother and all these things that that um yeah i i don't know um i would say to listeners you know if we've enticed you with regards to her content either read the book or check out podcasts with her check out check out talks she's she's a beast to say the least Joel Jeezy with the bars. There you go, Joel. There you go, Joel. For me, to say the least, yo, freestyle Friday. <laughs> okay, uh, all right. So accidental, <laughs> accidental rap on the podcast. Hey, 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 <laughs> man, hey, man. <laughs> One liner, maybe, not really a rap. <laughs> yeah, all right, so. Okay, so again, like the question I was just asking, can a Christ, can can um can a a person, you know, like stop being gay apart from the gospel? And I would say the unbeliever uh, can't stop being gay because they have no reason to. The culture, the culture, the environment encourages it and it would be abnormal not to. So that's why the gospel is so important uh to this fight uh that the gospel does offer hope. And I think it's important to remember that God is not just the great judge, but he's also the great physician um, and that he heals us from our uh, sinful um, ailments. And, and, and that's good news. And I think, uh, well, you know, just wanted to, to kind of point out that part of the aspect of the gospel that I think is fundamental to what you just said is that the gospel and, and essentially the Bible provides an objective standard for morality and and for the culture that doesn't believe there is no such thing as an objective standard and as such you know it's all what do you feel relative right like it's mm-hmm. as long as it's culturally acceptable your feelings are okay mm-hmm. whatever you desire to do if it's culturally acceptable then you can do it um which is totally subjective not objective we're coming to the end of the book and part 3 so this next part is about part three and her application of how to uh, deal with um, these uh, these sexual urges. And she's basically talking about Christians and 
who struggle with uh, the same sex urges. So this isn't about unbelievers at this point. It's about Christians who, who struggle with, with same sex urges. And she's not talking about um, uh, people who say they're Christian and champion their homosexuality. Um, she would say, no, that's not, that's not, um, that's not what she's talking about. And that's, nor is that biblical. Um, so those, so it is possible for a person to be a blood bought, saved person, but still have a desire for wanting to be with the same sex, just as somebody, um, you know, when they come to Christ, they're, they're, those, those temptations don't go away for whether it's watching porn and, or, um, wanting to steal, wanting to lie, um, these temptations are still there. And same thing with, with, with people who are struggling with homosexual urges. Um, those things are still being there. So she refers to them as um, same-sex attracted um, Christians. Under under this, uh, this heading, I'm going to be talking about uh, identity, endurance, and heterosexual gospel. So the identity aspect has to deal with identity politics type stuff. And this is what she says. The world we find ourselves in has made sexuality central to our identity, an identity where pride is demonstrated by waving a promise made after God destroyed the world with water. Gayness is not just a way to act, but a way to be. It is, as they say, just who you are. And I thought that was uh, well said as well um, with the play on words um, about the prop, the, the pride flag. And I think it's important to make a distinction when it comes to identity. And this is very important to the, uh, Christian apologetic against the homosexual agenda. I'll, I have this book also called, uh, desire and deceit, the real cost of the sex of the new sexual tolerance by Al Mohler. And so there's a section here and it says Maggie Gallagher, uh, who wrote the book Enemies of Eros. She said, Indeed, this was the ideological wedge used to force the American Psychiatric Association to remove homosexuality from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders in 1973. So at one point, it was seen as a mental disorder. But because of the homosexual agenda and you know political correctness, that's no longer seen as... A mental illness. Well, and and this is a total sidebar. What's crazy is that you have people promoting that sort of shifting with regards to pedophilia. Right. Oh yeah. No, and, you definitely see that I'm not same trying, argument. I'm not trying to necessarily draw parallels between the two things. That's a different time, different place. Um, I'm just drawing a parallel between what ha- what you just described happening. And what's happening today in the culture, like you can l- find people who will publicly decro- declare that pedophilia is a sexual orientation. Okay. And the next point is endurance. And then, so she says, I've had countless conversations with many same sex attracted men and women who are either trying to adhere to a biblical sexual ethic or have tried Weary-eyed and burdened, they come to me, head almost bowed, to welcome me into their frustration. 
Eventually, they confess the reason for their cloudiness. It's just so hard, they say, leaving the sentence without any extra explanation. The difficulty of trying to resist same-sex attracted attractions tends to lead some into the depressing cycle of self-condemnation and discouragement. For others, it can lead them away from the faith they once attempted to anchor themselves in altogether. Right? And so she goes on to say, being strengthened to endure and being given the power to obey doesn't make obedience easy, but it does make it possible. So again, her insights in regards to the sanctification process, meaning uh, how we become more holy. That's what sanctification means, becoming being made more holy and yeah she gives really great insight into like yes it's frustrating and yes we have to endure but again jesus talks about you know picking up your cross and dying to yourself daily um she says again you know it's it's the power to obey but it doesn't mean that it's gonna um that makes obedience easy but it does make it possible and i think that's Mm -hmm. encouraging Uh, and then she concludes this section with The great contrast between us and Jesus is this. Jesus was sorrowful at the prospect of him experiencing the displeasure of God. But most, if not all, of us become sorrowful at the prospect of not experiencing the pleasures of sin. Jesus didn't endure because he was strong. He was most likely at one of the weakest points of his humanity. But he endured because he loved his God. Therefore, he was fully committed to doing the will of God no matter the cost. This love is what will help us persevere, a love that sees knowing God as the body's greatest pleasure. Mm. Amen. Hallelujah. Pass the collection plate. Man. Well, and and I think, you know, when you say that, I think of um, Christian hedonism. John Piper, mm-hmm. right? Just kind of that, you know, what do we, where do we obtain pleasure from and how, and, and, you know, as a Christian, how does that reconcile with the calling of, of the gospel with respect to um, the ultimate source of our pleasure and, and pursuing that, right? So, I mean, it kind of goes back to the idea of being selfish or, or you know, as I was talking about being sanctified by um, or being sanctified with respect to my selfishness. Um, and, and the reason I say that is because most of, uh, if we're, pl- when we're pleasure oriented in general, it's self orientation, right? Like it's all about me. But in essence, the gospel is demonstrating that what will bring the most pleasure is glorifying God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in the the final section, heterosexual gospel, is is a very profound and and needed commentary that she that she gives here. And basically, the heterosexual gospel is telling uh, people that who struggle who Christians who are struggling with same-sex attraction telling them that um, God will make you heterosexual so 
but which is which is not true um you know or biblical right right god you know god wants to make you a lover of him first so it's not about being a um being a heterosexual god is saving you to make you a christian not a heterosexual um he's not promising you um uh, a, a husband or a wife of the opposite sex um, marriage might not be part of your life when you become a Christian. So single singleness might be um, what you're called to. And she does an excellent job. And I never really considered this, that this would be a hindrance to people who um, are struggling with the, with the same sex attraction or even people who are gay and, and you're witnessing to them. Like that might not be the case where they become heterosexual. And so she, she gives her commentary and she says, and she says this, marriage truly is glorious. In all of its glory, however, it is not the highest glory. Marriage for some time has been esteemed idealistically as a mini heaven, perhaps, unguarded by golden gates, entered into preferably before a woman's pretty begins to die, or by the time a man is ready to plant his seed. From the time a young girl learns of love, she's taught it's in its purest form when a white dress carries a woman into an I do. Cartoons and children's books indoctrinate us young with the sorry. Cartoons and children's books indoctrinate us young with this ideal. But they aren't the only ones making a utopia of marriage. And then she goes on to say, the exaggerated promise of marriage or the unbalanced emphasis on its place in the Christian life can lead same-sex attracted men and women to being disoriented about God's specific call for them, which we can say with confidence, God's call is this, to love God and love people. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40. And then she goes on to say, beyond earth... Another trait setting marriage apart from the Lord himself is that it is not eternal. It will expire once the breath does, does and become something done only on earth until that itself is done anew. The marriage that will last, however, is the marriage between Christ and his church. Like two deathless stars meant to burn forever. God and his church will always be married, always be in love, always be one, so much so that death will never part them, for even that will be no more. Amen, Jackie. Like she's... Uh, so the she's spitting fire. Hot, hot bars like Dylon. Just, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So we see here she starts talking about uh, also the singleness is not a curse. And out, man, she was just preaching through this. And she goes to say, she goes on to say, in the heterosexual gospel, singleness is whispered or completely kept from the discussion of what might come after coming to faith in Christ. Singleness mm-hmm. is that country no one wants other people to visit. So they rip the shape of its borders off of maps, thinking that the possibility of its discovery might turn same-sex attracted travelers back around into the darker continent. But countless same-sex attracted men and women deserve the privilege of having another passport if necessary. 
It could be that in an attempt not to discourage same-sex attracted believers, Christians refrain from mentioning singleness as the only proper alternative for their lives if marriage never arrives. But honestly, to only mention marriage and not include singleness is just as discouraging, if not more discouraging. For many dealing with same-sex attracted attractions, some same-sex attracted men and women haven't and will never fully know how it feels to have a sexual attraction for someone of the opposite sex. Though sexual attraction desire is not the foundation for a fruitful heterosexual marriage, it is, in fact, an aspect of it. For these men and women to be married would be more of a trial for them than a gift. But if they have no idea of the beauty of singleness because it was never presented to them on those terms, then how would they know to embrace the season for which they may find themselves in with joy instead of despair? Hmm. Whew. She, she's just, I mean, she's a wordsmith, right? Like, she's, she was poetry first, but she's also a rapper. And, 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 uh, you know, a pretty good expositor and a pretty yeah. good theologian. Yeah, she's, she's, mm-hmm. she's, she's really excellent. And so, yeah, and then she talks about the aspect of, you know, just singleness and community and how it's important for, you know, the church to show like, you know, there's other meaningful relationships besides the sexual one. And that's something we as the body of Christ and as, as brothers and sisters in Christ to exhibit what that deeper relationship of a family looks like, not just a sexual relationship, but, but they can also find um, meaningfulness in brotherhood, sisterhood, uh, you know, spiritual fathers, spiritual mothers and so forth. Um, so, so the, her insights were really awesome, and uh, man, I, I can't, I can't promote this this book enough. It, it was, it's just, it's, it's a definitely a necessary grab. So, I think that's probably the first time you finished a Type Beast episode with that. Really? Oh, okay. Like, like I mean, you know, you I think back to to some of the other ones with you know we did the Tim Chalice one. You know, you talked about useful tools. You know, you've talked about being insightful but actually calling the book a necessary grab you know in terms of especially for the christian i think um who's largely ignorant i mean myself included in this largely ignorant of of let's say someone who's had that experience before i close out i want to share with the listeners a section of the book that uh made me tear up if i could say that on on the air uh now uh i didn't cry um like so i I had i had water coming up in my eyes you know when you know when the water starts coming up in your eyes um but it's only crying if it if it hits your face it's only crying if the water falls out of your eye and hits your face so the water was coming up but then but then you know i I boy 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 uh grabbed his nuts and held on tight (laughs) Yeah, you know what I mean. So I had to, I had to, um, you know, uh, you know, grab my composure. But yeah, th- this part really tore me up. Uh, so please, you know, um, bear with me on this one. So I'm gonna read a quote from it. So this is on uh, page seventy nine, chapter nine, two thousand eight. 
And this is the context is this is after her conversion, like the very next day after uh, she came to the Lord. I arrived at work the next day, a new creature. Though my soul was much different, my clothes were the same. My extra large uniform with its dark blue button up and oversized black dickies didn't feel normal anymore. My best friend and coworker, Mike, looked at me and said, you look different. What do you mean? I said, considering the fact that my boxers were still showing and my chest was flattened by an extra small sports bra. I don't know, man. You just look brighter. Maybe he noticed that the veil had been removed, but didn't know what to call it. And then that was that whole veil aspect was from Second Corinthians chapter three, verse sixteen, and that made me tear up because I believe her. I I I, I believed her. Like like when she said that, I believe like she wasn't using wordplay. This wasn't a metaphor. That when he saw her. Like, he didn't know what happened the night before. He just said, yo, you look brighter. You know what I mean? And, like, when we when we have an experience with God, like, it, you know, it shows. It isn't just in your clothes. It radiates. Yeah, it radiates. It isn't just, you know, you um, having a head covering or having a long dress or not wearing makeup or not wearing baggy jeans or covering up your tattoos. You know, people just, you know, if you, you know, you're walking with the Lord, people just see it. They see the joy and they see the glory of God in you. So when 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 he said that, you know, you look different, you look brighter. I'm like, my heart skipped a beat and my eyes started to water because I was like, yo, praise God. Praise God. Like he sees it like it was a real conversion that she experienced. So I was just really happy and excited and I was fired up. You know, got me, you know, singing, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow jesus i have decided to follow jesus no turning back no turning back so that reminds me the pod that nobody will ever hear me sing on a podcast Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, no, man. Um, yeah, no, it's a beautiful book. Uh, well written, very encouraging, sound theology. And so I would just leave the li- listeners with, you know, as Christians, it's important that um that we have a deeper understanding of sexual sin that makes us empathetic to the LGBTQ2S community, because, you know, as the pastor says, such were some of you. And as those who have experienced the life-changing power of God, we must do a better job of communicating hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. Don't believe the hype. Read the type.